Welcome to the PPM Academy podcast for project, program, and portfolio managers, where we will interview industry experts and discuss current and future trends in the world of project, program, and portfolio management, and how what we do impacts our company's execution culture. I'm Gerald Leonard. Today, we have with us Joseph Falehef. Joseph is president and CEO of Whitewater Projects, Inc., and author of the book, Being Agile in a Waterfall World, a guide for complex organizations. He is focused on bringing hope to people who work in difficult business contexts, making sense of these seemingly conflicting approaches, methods, and cultures. Joseph has more than over a decade and a half of experience executing, coaching, consulting, and training in traditional and agile delivery across large-scale complex enterprise IT organizations, as well as small boutique agencies. Joseph's provocative engaging and energetic courses and keynote presentations are in demand across the U.S. and in Europe. Joseph, thanks so much for talking with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Gerald. I love being here. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. Listen, it was great meeting you last year when we were down at the Allen Weiss Conference in Atlanta. Yeah, that was good. Good time. Exactly. Exactly. So let's get into this. So how did you get started in the field and what do you think has made you successful throughout your career? How did I get started in the field? Well, I started out actually in uh, as a network system designer, um, hardware systems, looking at this was back in the early 90s. And uh, as I started working on larger and larger systems, I ended up uh, doing less and less of the actual systems design and doing more and more of the managing the people who were doing all the work. Okay. And at one point, uh, one of my one of my hardware reps said, "You know, there's a name for what you're doing. It's it's called project management." I'm like, oh, okay. This was you know the '90s, so right. Didn't didn't hadn't heard of that before. Went online and looked up uh, project management because we actually did have a rudimentary internet back then, and uh, learned a lot about what project management was. I got my uh, PMP from the Project Management Institute uh, in 2001. I got it the year before. That was just the year before they added the ethics section. So, you know, can't really trust me. <laughs> I think we but, can. <laughs> but uh, so, that yeah, that was in 2001 when I got that. And did I was doing mostly uh, hardware systems still. Um, then I ended up doing my first software project in... 2005. Okay. And when I did that project, it was an abysmal failure. It was horrible. Um, I was working with a team there and, and there wasn't a whole huge chunk of it that was software development, Okay, but there was one little piece of it. And we were having the guy develop just one, one developer. And he was writing this piece of, uh, they called it a script, but it was so large and complicated complicated that it was a program and he kept he gave me the classic line right it, I, I'm, I'm there I'm a project manager guy and I'm, I'm asking the questions you know what percentage done are you what percentage done are you he's you know 20% 30% 50% yeah like you know ever right and then and then it got to the 90% and the next day it was 90% three days later it's 90% starting to sweat a little bit, you know, 
worried. What's going on? Is this guy really 90% done? So, well, you didn't know 90% can last a long time. I know. <laughs> that, last, <laughs> that last 2%. Like, so, you know, I hadn't written code since my Commodore 64, right? I wrote basic. That's, I'm not a programmer. You're dating yourself. But I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just the gray, gray hair in my beard. But, oh, okay. Um, so I, I said to myself, you know, I have to do something about this. I have, to, I have to check. But I don't want to embarrass the guy. You know, if there's no real reason, I don't want to embarrass the guy. So I waited till everyone was gone, downloaded his, his work, and I printed it out because, you know, I wanted to see it physically. And it was crap. Mm. Can I say that on your podcast? Yes, you can. That's uh, that's okay. That's, was, that's as far was, as we're going to go here. We're not going to go any <laughs> further than that, but that's okay. I'm not going to give you a blue letter uh, preaching here. So, uh, but anyway, it was it was poorly written, and I could tell, and I didn't know how to code. So we got rid of him. We got somebody else. We eventually got it done, but we were late and over budget, and it was horrible. And it was the worst project that I had ever been on. And I said, gosh, there's got to be a better way to do this. Because this software thing is really different than yeah. what I'd been doing. I'd been doing a whole lot of physical infrastructure, cable and wire, server rooms, you know, building infrastructure, all that kind of stuff. And when you're doing construction work, right, and you're dealing with the cable and wire on the walls, I can see, look, there's the wall. And it's now the wall has sheetrock on it. And now there's a, a pull in the wall so that they're going to pull the cable into it. Right, I know right. exactly where you are. I can see it. Right. Software is not that way. Software is this ephemeral thing that I was like, I don't know. So I, I went again onto the internet, started doing some research on how do you manage software projects? Because it's, there's it's something different about it. And there was this this thread that uh, that I kept coming up against that was talking about something called Scrum. Um, and, you know, this was in 2006. Okay. So uh, if you're familiar with Agile things, the Agile Manifesto was written in 2001. So this was not very long after that. Very, very immature market. But the Scrum thing was out there, and lots of people were talking about it. So uh, I said, I'm going to learn that. And there was a class over in Bellevue taught by some guy named Ken so I went over and uh, took the class. Um, the guy named Ken was Ken Schwaber, one of the two guys that originated the Scrum process. So I got to learn from the originator. Very cool. All right. One of the best classes I've ever been in. He's a character for sure, hey, though. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> you ever met Ken? No, I have not. I have not. <laughs> he is he is a card for sure. Okay. He has very strong opinions. I'm sure I'll make sure that Ken gets to listen to this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually kind of felt sorry for the guy that he was there actually to train the trainers. Yeah, okay. But the poor other guy didn't get to teach much because you know Ken's like boom right in front. Gotcha. But it was really good, um, and it really was um, in a lot of ways reaffirming because my approach to uh, leadership and, and project management that I was doing was always a servant leadership approach. Right. So that part of, of the agile movement mm -hmm. wasn't new to me. The iterative and incremental, the working software every two weeks or, or four weeks, that stuff was new to me. 
Right. That was really eye-opening, and it was nice to see a a kind of codified way of talking about um, empowering teams and a leadership approach that was there to um, give authority to the teams so that they can do great work because you trust them. I mean, that's always what I've wanted to do. Um, and we, in, in the regular project management world, they didn't talk about that much. Okay. What they did. Okay. So that's, that's kind of how I got involved with that. And then I, you know, got involved with, uh, PMI's agile community of practice, um, helped out with that quite a bit, uh, helped out with the, um, the, I was part of the beta program for the PMI Agile Certified Practitioner, their certification. Uh, and yeah, so uh, that's kind of how I got into the, the Agile world of things from all the way back when I first started. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, as you as we talk about this, um, you know, there's always a little bit of debate, right? Probably not a little bit, probably a lot of debate between the waterfall world and the Agile world. What do you think is poorly understood or unresolved in this area, and why do you think that's so? Um, well, in my book, uh, I talk about this actually right up front. Okay. I think what is most poorly understood is agile. I think one of the worst things that has happened to the desires and the movement of that that the, the originators were going for is the writing of the agile manifesto. I think that, I think that has been really bad. Um, and there are people who will want to crucify me for saying that, and that's fine. They can, but I think it was bad because. It took what a group of people were trying to accomplish in um, developing a better way to work in this quick-moving, uh, always-changing, ephemeral software world, and it, it put some boundaries on it that were, I think, too rigid. Uh, and what, what hap has happened over time with that is the, the agile community has, has started using that word agile, 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 agile. You hear it all the time. And the more it's used, the less it means. Okay. Um, in the book, I talk about that there's actually four different things people mean when I hear them talk about this. And maybe there's more, and if you're on the, listening to this on the podcast and you come up with something else that you've heard people mean, by all means, let me know. <clears throat> Joseph at whitewaterprojects.com. Send me the, uh, an email. I'd love to hear about it. The four things that I hear people mean are, well, for one, they mean agility-enabling practices, right? Okay. So things like working in small increments, um, writing tests before you write the code, um, actually delivering working software every two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, right? These are agility enabling practices. Pairing, right? Working together with someone. These things allow you to be nimble. They allow you to be agile. Um, so that's one thing, agility enabling practices. The other thing is they think it means, they, they use the term agile to mean the agile movement. 
So the the whole sub-industry of Agile training and Agile classes and Agile, the Agile manifesto and uh, all of the all the trappings that go along with that, right? So, so the Agile movement in, in the project management and, and product delivery world. They, the third thing they use it to mean is what I call 21st century management practice, right? So anything good management-y is labeled, well, that's Agile, right? Mm. The one that actually pissed me off is someone, uh, and I won't name her, gave a lecture at a big, a big conference and talked about the difference between um, the fixed mindset and the agile mindset. And I'm sorry, you just stole a woman's life work and co-opted it for the agile movement, right? Hmm. There is a, there's, there's a, um, I'm going to space on her name. Okay. A woman wrote the book called Mindset. Okay. And it's the difference between a fixed and a growth mindset. Right? Gotcha. And she wrote the book called Mindset. Go look it up, please. And it is not the agile mindset. It is the growth mindset, please. So don't co-opt every single thing that is good and call it, oh, well, that's agile. No. It's good management. So, so are, so are you it. saying that the agile movement has experienced scope creep? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes, yes, there is scope creep in the agile movement. So, the fourth thing that they mean when they use the word agile is agile. the The ability to change as fast or faster than the changes that are coming toward you. Okay. And I don't care if you are designing airplanes or designing software, right? If you're digging a canal or you're putting the, the operating system in a computer, right? The ability to change as fast or faster than the changes that are coming at you is necessary. And that is called agility or, or it's called being nimble. Right. And I challenge the folks listening to this right now. So if you're listening to this and you're in, an, in a context where they, quote, use agile, blah, where they use agile, try this <clears throat> for a week. Replace the word agile with the word nimble. You will find yourself not making sense. And when you find yourself not making sense, that's where you're meaning one of those other three things. Okay. So try using it to, to replace the word agile and, and see when, when you're meaning other things. It'll help you, I think, clarify for yourself what is really agile, what is really being nimble, and get you back to the core of, of what the whole movement was trying to accomplish, which was to deliver better working products of any kind faster. Right. And adapting to customer needs along the way. Right. Because as you know, customer needs are always changing. Always changing. And as soon as you write down the requirements, those requirements are almost obsolete as you're going through the waterfall process. Oh, God, yes. And, and don't get me started on the timelines involved with typical waterfall work because that is insane. Right. Right. 
the the way markets change today is so fast that you have to be nimble. You can't afford not to. And if you think you can, if you think, oh, well, that's only in the technology world. I'm in the construction world. It'll never happen here. It'll happen there. Yes. It'll happen there because this, this world we're living in right now, this disruptive innovation that's happening in every single freaking industry will happen in your industry. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, if you I, don't believe it, yes. ask a taxi driver. Yep. Because they're out of business because of Uber in less than a year. They have put Uber they have put taxis quite close to completely out of business. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. And it's amazing when someone can create an iPhone app or a a smartphone app, I would say it that way, a smartphone app and it can by itself begin to have an impact in disrupting a, an industry or a portion of an industry or a service that was being offered before that the that particular app has now taken over and is no longer in 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 case uh, in an being, industry that's not technical exactly exactly right? that's what I mean, I mean it, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter which industry it's in exactly who would have thought taxi service come right. on right. come on they'll never be able to the, the digital stuff will never affect a taxi service. Well, what? so who is out there trying to disrupt your industry? Because there's a couple of college kids in a garage someplace that are coming up with a disruptive innovation that is going to make your business obsolete. Yep, yep. So, so as, we, as we, you know, move forward here, what challenges have you helped customers overcome recently? Um, let's see. Most recently, I was working with a large software development company. Okay. Uh, and they, they were in a rapid growth cycle. Um, they were doubling every year and a half their staff size. So they went from, you know, 200 to, I think there were 600 when I was working with them most recently, 800 maybe. And what had, what, they were dealing with a couple of different things. Um, their organizational structure was such that it made perfect sense when they were a hundred people okay, and, and maybe even 150. Right. But when they were 600, it was debilitating. Um, so they had a, a, a matrix organization structure where they had uh, functional teams that were doing the development work and they had um, technical teams that were the reporting structure for the organization. So uh, a, a team would have people on it from these technical departments and, and say you had 12 people on the team, they might be from eight or nine different technical specialties, which means you had eight or nine, maybe more managers associated with those 12 people. So now you've got a team of people who wants to solve some problem or operate somewhat differently or address an issue that they're having, who do they go to? Right. They had, they had, you know, eight, nine people that they had to go talk to and get all of them aligned in order to get a change accomplished that they were trying to get to or get a decision made. And it was debilitating. The decision process was ridiculous. 
those managers on the teams didn't know what their role was, right? I, because I can't control what's happening on the team or, or contribute significantly to what's happening on the team. What's my, what's my job, right? And, and there was significant um, psychological distress, I would say, mm. uh, okay. for, those, for those people. And so we, we, I helped them reorganize uh, their work such that uh, the, the teams there, we helped them reorganize the teams so that they had um, just one or two managers for each one of those teams. Um, they did such a fantastic job. Uh, and there's, there, the reorg that they did was amazing uh, because they, they focused on keeping it simple, making it fast, and getting people involved. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. So we did a big reorg with, with that team, as well as coaching their leadership to understand how do you let go? You know, as an executive, when I'm in a startup, which is where they started, okay. I have lots of control. Right. Uh, and as you grow in size, you need to release some of that control because the control needs to be close to where the work is happening. So the decisions can be made with that information. And okay. as you grow, the executive level gets farther and farther away from where the, the, the work is happening. And so we just, I was just helping them understand this whole um, supportive leadership concept. Um, I call it supportive leadership. It's somewhat different than, it, it takes servant leadership um, that I talk about in, in my book, actually, and I've expanded on it to this supportive leadership model. Um, because supportive leadership adds on the idea of distributed decision making um, and some other things, but but primarily it's that addition of you don't. There's nothing in in servant leadership that says um, that I'm going to let other people make the decisions right in the process. And supportive leadership says no, I need to let go of control and let the people with the information make the decisions. Right. Right. So helping them understand how do you go about doing that right. as a leader, let go of control, empower people, um, create opportunities for empowerment for the people. Exactly. Well, you know, that's a that's a major part of project portfolio management, because mm -hmm. once you have your business drivers identified and prioritized, you have to develop consensus among the leadership team. And, right. you know, because. The CFO may have an idea that, you know, the, you know, the financial values are more important than the um, execution values or, or uh, cost savings values are more important than uh, new technology values. And the CIO or the CTO may have a feeling that we need to have the latest technology, but it's getting everyone on the same page. And I think, you know, that section of your book sounds like a great um, tutorial, if you will. Yeah. for leaders to take a look at and think about this concept of supportive leadership. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. The In the book, I hadn't really, this, the book came out two years ago, okay. um, and I hadn't really developed the concept of supportive leadership as much. I've been writing about supportive leadership um, recently on a couple of different websites. On uh, I write for Search CIO quite a bit. Okay, There's a couple of articles on there about it. Um, and I also write on CIO.com. I have a blog on there. So gotcha. There's some stuff there. Um, and I can give you some links to post on this with this podcast. So. Perfect. Perfect. I look forward to that. Yeah. 
Well, then, you know, as we um, continue this process here and begin to kind of wrap things up a little bit, um, if you were sitting here a year from now celebrating what a great year you've had as an expert, uh, what would you have achieved, learned, or contributed? Uh, I think I think the the biggest thing for me right now is wanting to communicate um, the critical role that leadership and culture have in organizations being able to be be nimble and responsive. Okay, like we were talking about, and I was kind of ranting, I guess, about um, disruptive change happening in every industry. Right. That can be crushing. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, gave a, a, a talk, and he was talking about when he started investing in Uber, he told his dad uh, to tell his friends, who all uh, were tech, had not all, but a bunch of whom um, had black car services in LA, uh, to, that they needed to get out because this Uber thing was going to change everything. Uh, and they didn't. They kind of laughed and, you know, <laughs> oh, nice, Gary. And now their businesses, he was saying, are worth 25 cents on the dollar. Wow. And yeah. And, and these are guys who are in their 70s, getting ready to retire late 60s or 70s. And, you know, and now they have nothing. Right. They were planning on selling the business for retirement. Exactly. Exactly. And what I would hope to have accomplished in the year is to have gotten this idea out more um, to more people in more industry in in other more businesses um, so that they have the tools and the understanding that they have to be nimble. Yes. And it's not hard. Um, well, no, it's not complicated, but it's not easy. <laughs> right. Well, it's because it's change. It's change. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I would hope to have accomplished and contributed is is uh, more getting more people to understand the idea and getting getting the tools into their hands so that they can change their organizations. Because what I've seen time and time again is when I work with an organization, I'll come into a company and and, and you can see it in people's eyes. Right? It's a miserable place to work. Mm. Yeah. And within, you know, six months or so, eight months of working with those teams, invariably, uh, every company I've worked at, someone at, at some point has come up to me later and gone, and, I, and it makes my heart just jump when they say this, you changed my life. Wow. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> it's so powerful to hear. I, I, I hated my job before, and now I have hope. Right. Now I have joy in my work. Well, especially uh, especially if you're getting those kind of compliments that what you're what you're getting to do on a day-to-day -day basis is making an impact in people's lives. Yeah. Go go to my go to my LinkedIn account and scroll through some of the recommendations. Okay. There's people in there saying that and it just or in the, or in the book reviews on Amazon. There's one woman on on Amazon who read the book and said she she literally at one point broke into tears because what I was explaining was what she was not understanding and now it made sense. Gotcha. And I want to do more of that. Yes.
changing yeah. people's lives. Yeah, that that makes it that makes it worth getting up in the morning and going to work and seeing that what you're doing has is yeah. having a bigger impact on society than just uh, getting a paycheck every week. Yeah, not that the paycheck's not important, but you know, it's it's it it gives you more satisfaction knowing that what you get to do on a daily basis is having an impact in people's lives. Excellent. Well, listen, if someone wanted to learn from you and just give me one tip or strategy, and I always ask this question, what's the one tip or strategy would you give someone if they are looking to grow in their career as a PPM expert or an agile expert? Um, the one piece of advice that I would give them would be serve others. Okay. Right. Um, put other people's needs before yours and make them successful and you'll be successful. Right. Right. That's a saying that Zig Ziglar uh, has, has said a, a lot, which is, uh, you know, the more you help people get what they want is, is you'll get everything that you want. Yeah. I love Zig. Yes. He's a great guy. Exactly. Well, Joseph, our listeners wanted to learn more about you. Where can they go? www.whitewaterprojects.com Excellent. I will make sure that's in the show notes and any of the links that you want me to add to the show notes. And I normally also have our podcast transcribed so uh, our listeners can come back and take a look at uh, different sections to learn more. So in conclusion, Joseph, thank you so much for talking with us today. That was Joseph Falehif, author of the book, Being Agile in a Waterfall World, a guide for complex organizations. For more expert insight, go to Principles of Execution podcast.